0: Welcome to the Word of Christ, sermons from Pastor Sean Denzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. The Epistle for Holy Thursday is from Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, the 11th chapter. eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The destruction of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris has awakened the Western world and in a way set it ablaze also. To what end remains to be seen. But even we Lutherans recognize something tragic in that fire and I think we are glad to hear that so much of it has been spared. But why? There is truth in the observation that we most certainly could live without magnificent buildings, without stained glass, certainly without 13th century carved wood ceilings. We sing in one of our hymns, paraphrasing Solomon, Surely in temples built by hands God the Most High is not dwelling. And Jesus himself said to the Samaritan woman that God seeks worshippers neither on Mount Gerizim with the Samaritans, nor in Jerusalem with the Jews alone, but he seeks worshipers in spirit and in truth. And yet, Solomon built his temple, and a magnificent one that spared no expense at that. Even so, nameless artisans over centuries built that cathedral in Notre Dame. And our church, you've probably noticed, is no pole barn either. Thank God. The true tragedy of Europe isn't that 800-year-old buildings could fall down, but it is that they can and do stand so empty when it is time for Mass. If we were forced to choose... We could give up this wood and this brick if only we could keep the Spirit and the truth. But that really is not an option that has been set before us, dear Christians. It hasn't been set before the Christians that came before us either. In fact, it was Spirit and Truth not apathy or unbelief, that led our forefathers to construct their grand cathedrals out of wood and stone. Yes, God is not entrapped or summoned out of heaven by our works or our actions. That's true. But nor is He confined to the realm of ideas and fiction. That Him, which at first brushes aside crumbling spires... In the end, directs all of us again, not to ideas, not to thoughts, but back again to the church furniture. Here stands the font before our eyes, it sings, telling us something. Here stands the altar recalling Christ's sacrifice. Here stands the pulpit from which the Scriptures are preached. And the final stanza of that hymn prays that the church bells would still be ringing. The Spirit of God and His saving truth among His believers, Christianity itself, must take form. It must be embodied. And that's not because our God would leave us or couldn't accomplish His work without music or without beauty, or without treasured material things. No, rather, our faith is embodied in all of these beautiful and useful arts to attest that likewise our God is embodied. We do not know or worship any God except Him who was made man. Nor do we want to have another God besides Him. Besides Him, there is no God who could save us. And therefore, we do not suffer Christ's humanity to be curtailed or minimized in any way. It is a false teaching that the spiritual things are opposed to the physical or that the bodily and material world cannot bring us into communion with the divine. It is God Himself who's dashed those ideas to pieces. His Old Testament already made it clear. Since He in His wisdom chose to mediate and to work salvation for His people Israel by many physical means. Ah, but dear Christians, in the New Testament, in His blood, that is the true and eternal revelation of this reality. We worship a man. We worship a man. Because God is a man in Christ Jesus. The eternal Word now has a body. His material. His material has been exalted to the Father's majestic right hand. Christ's incarnation has destroyed that old notion that the material and the non-material can't communicate. No, they do. Because God Himself is now embodied forever. The New Testament is in God's blood and His flesh. Christ does not think us forgiven. He does not declare it to you in ideas and in words alone. He accomplishes it. He atones for our sins with His blood. And His mighty right arm and His divine finger have worked salvation for us, as the Psalms say. Now, you might want to just say that these are all metaphors only. The Bible says that God is spirit. So that must mean that God has no arms, no fingers. God is not a man. God doesn't need to be called a he as opposed to a she. God is everywhere and nowhere. He's outside of our time and space. And thus, our bodies, our material things have nothing at all to do with him. Oh, but dear Christians, if you say any of that, if you believe any of those things, you have burned down Christianity itself. Because you have denied that the Son of God has come in the flesh. You are no longer discerning His body. And thus you would lie in judgment. God forbid it. Now, in tonight's sermon, I've said nothing at all so far about the blessed sacrament that Christ instituted on this night, Holy Thursday. And yet, already in this sermon, I have spoken many times about communion between God and man, about His life-giving body and blood, about the New Testament in it, about discerning and recognizing and acknowledging Christ's body for life or denying it to judgment and hell. And these are all of the teachings that St. Paul writes in tonight's epistle about the Lord's Supper. But how could I not be talking about these things if I am a Christian? You see, dear Christians, when you know Jesus Christ, when you believe and adore His incarnation for us, when you confess that He became man, for us to die as our substitute and a sacrifice in our place to reconcile us sinners to His Father. And when you confess that His divine and crucified body is indeed risen, never to die again, to defeat death in us also, and to raise our bodies to eternal life at the last day, when you believe all of this, which is to say, Simply, when you believe the basics of our Christian faith, the truth about salvation, then this sacrament of the altar does not come upon you as some kind of curveball out of left field. This is not a strange or a pointless add-on some kind of optional thing in the service this is not the last of the six chief parts and therefore the least in the catechism oh if anything this is the pinnacle and this means that it isn't an option that we are given not really Because we worship no other God, dear Christian, than that embodied, incarnate, flesh and blood, Jesus Christ. He is God's sacrifice to answer His own demands and to bestow forgiveness, blessing, and life upon you. His flesh and His blood are vivifying. That means life-giving and Spirit-filled. For our flesh and blood that is so plagued by sin and weakness and death. And Christ offers His body and His blood, not only to the Father as a sacrifice on the cross, but He also offers it in a different direction. To you. For you. To feast upon now. And to receive its benefits. Your Lord Jesus doesn't lock Himself away from you and say, imagine, just imagine me. Imagine as if I were close to you. You could do that kind of imagining just as well between Notre Dame's beautiful rose window as you could under a fluorescent light in your cubicle. Because what good is an imagined God? He's worthless. That would be pretend Oh, but dear Christians, the true God, He intends to be here, working spiritual and supernatural life in you by faith. And God does never do this apart from Christ's flesh, not even for a moment. Now how that amazing mystery of the Incarnation is a reality when you are hearing His absolving Word spoken to you, or when you see the water of His holy baptism poured over someone's head. That you may not see. But the Lord's Supper, His Holy Supper, leaves nothing to the imagination. That's where Jesus says, remember me. He says it nowhere else in the Gospels except at this point. The point where he is nearest to us on this side of the last day. He is as near to us as our own mouths. Remember me there, he commands. Remember me taking, eating, and drinking my body given and my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember me here with you, Christ says, incarnate, embodied, and present with and for you. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, Paul says, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And St. Paul is not talking only about my sermon. He says that your Eating and your drinking proclaims Christ crucified. He says that to come to the Lord's Supper, if we come aright, is to confess that the true body and blood of Christ are here, that God is at work in us spiritually, not alongside mere bread and wine, but through Christ's flesh and blood that is here. Paul's warning tonight makes that entirely clear. He says if you eat and drink the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy or in an undiscerning manner, you are sinning. And you're not just sinning against God, that would make sense, I suppose, in heaven. You are not sinning against bread and wine, whatever that would mean. You are sinning against Christ's own body and blood, profaning it. Because the bread is His body. The wine is His blood. And it's not our faith that makes that true. It's His Word. Likewise, doubt in that doesn't make Him absent somehow. Our God is incarnate. He's embodied. And thus, He is bodily present in His Holy Supper, just as His own words say. Either for your salvation or for your condemnation, as Paul says. God's presence cannot be trifled with. Come rightly, then. Come only in repentance, seeking the forgiveness and the life giving flesh of God. Come to be nourished supernaturally. That means in spirit and truth. And that means through this eating and drinking. As often as you so eat, and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. I've heard many of you, dear Christians in our congregation, comment about just how suspicious you are whenever you go to visit another church that claims to be Christian And yet when you look around, there are no crosses to be seen anywhere in those churches. Your suspicion is very wise. Because we are in the business of proclaiming Christ's death until He comes. Paul would say the same thing. What glory do we have save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? But dear saints, I want you to go further. Now, ought you not be far more suspicious of a gathering that is often without the eating and drinking, which the Apostle himself says proclaims this Lord's death? Unbelief could render any statue pointless just as easily as fire could consume it. But the Lord's Holy Supper, that has God's express command and His incredible promise that it delivers to you what He won on the original cross to all who eat it in faith. A church where the blessed sacrament is rare, that is a church that is in far worse shape than Notre Dame Cathedral. That's a church that is being gutted of spirit and truth in a way that no fire could ever touch. Dear Christians, since we worship such an embodied Lord and Savior, let us gather around His body and blood often until He comes. The flesh and blood man, Christ Jesus. He is Lord, who died for us and who gives us life. How else could we put it? This is the entire point of Christianity. And as a result, it is the point of the world's greatest structures ever built. It is the point of the greatest music ever composed. It is the point of the finest art. Let it also be the clear point of our gathering here each Sunday and during this Holy Week and on other feasts and let it be also the reason to go on in this world joyfully despite sin and pain and suffering and embarrassment and tragedy and all of this world seeming meaningless piety tells us that crosses in churches And music, these things are really not optional for us. They are the natural and the appropriate embodiment of our most holy faith that cannot be kept privately to ourselves. But how much more is it the command and promise of our Lord Himself, beside our own pressing need which tell us that proclaiming Christ's death in the eating and the drinking of His body and blood, that isn't optional. So I commend Christ's Holy Supper to you this night, dear Christians. God, awaken you to hunger and to thirst for Him. Often. Often until he comes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to The Word of Christ. You can find more sermons at verbachristi.blogspot.com And if you have need to contact Pastor Denzer, you can email him at pastor at denzer.org That's P-A-S-T-O-R at D-A-E-N-Z-E-R dot O-R-G Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Amen.